it is every week, it is with pure joy that we sing for our Savior. And it truly is, as we mentioned earlier, and we do it every week, that it's an absolute privilege to meet in the Amherst Park Zoo, that we, we count it a joy and we thank God for a venue where we can meet and praise Him together. But I will say this, there are challenges on occasion, like last week when there's no electricity and everyone's fanning. And one other thing that for us has been something that we need to overcome and be creative with is meeting space as far as like for an office, because we don't have a typical building. And so we've been creative. And so one of the halls in my villa serves as the church office and my study. And so we try to maintain a semblance of, well, daddy's at work. And so you can't go in the office area, but sometimes the kids can't help themselves and they'll come in middle of the day and I'll be studying or on the computer or whatever and they'll start talking to me. Now, the thing is, they think I'm listening to them, but I'm not. Like, I'm, I'm trying to listen, but my mind was somewhere else. My mind is what I was reading or thinking or whatever and, and they're talking to me and I'm like, yeah, uh-huh, yeah, but my mind is so far. And what I have to do is put down the phone or close the laptop or put the book down and look at them and actually engage my children and, and tell them, hey, daddy's at work. You have to go back upstairs and bother. I mean, go spend time with your mom. No, and so I've learned that in order for me to be able to focus, I have to give whatever it is, the person or, or the project, my full attention. Otherwise, if I'm distracted, I can't engage. And I doubt it's just me. Now, I know it's been said that women tend to be better multitasking than men, but this, this transcends gender. In order for us to be able to focus, we have to give whatever that is our full attention. And it's no different in all of our relationships, and it's no different with you spiritually. In order for you to really engage in order for you to be really, really following Jesus, you have to give him your full, undivided attention. You cannot be distracted. If you're distracted, then you're not focused on Christ. And it's so easy in our lives to get very distracted because there's a lot going on in our lives. We have to focus. Which is why we've been studying, and today we actually conclude a series in Romans chapter 8 a series called Focused. We've been talking about living a gospel-centered life where we are truly focused on the person of Jesus. We're focused on the work of Jesus in redemption, which is accomplished through His gospel of peace, through His message of good news. The gospel is just that, the message. It's the good news that we are sinners. And yet, Jesus came he died on the cross. We'll talk about that at length next week for Easter. He paid the penalty for our sins. He was buried, but he resurrected in full glory. He's alive today, and he offers eternal life to anyone that will repent and believe in him alone and trust in Christ alone, through faith alone, by God's grace alone for salvation. And this is absolutely stunning when we stop and realize that he's done that for us and what he offers us. And when we focus on that, on the gospel, our lives are fulfilling and they make sense. And Romans 8 has been an absolutely wonderful journey for me personally in meditating on these truths. I love this chapter because it summarizes a Christian life. 
If you think back to eight weeks ago, Romans 8 verse 1 begins with, For there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It, it begins just like our Christian life begins with faith in Christ, begins with the gospel. And it'll end, as we'll see this morning, with the promise that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. And so the gospel begins with there is no condemnation. And when our lives are over on this earth and we are resurrected to live forever with new glorified bodies, with Him in heaven on the new earth, we will forever be praising Him, forever enjoying Him, and nothing can separate us. So beginning to end is all about Christ and His gospel. But what about in between? What about the here and the now? When you have a life to live, a wife or a husband to love, and kids to raise, and bills to pay, and career to pursue, and cars to fix, and life goes on. Well, we live. We are called to live a gospel-centered life. And when we do, we are displaying God's glory, and we're living for the purpose in which we were created. And so today, as we conclude this series, let's read in Romans chapter 8, verses 35 through 39. God's word, as revealed by the Holy Spirit, written by the Apostle Paul, says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written... For your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Let me be honest with you. This week as I was reading and rereading this text, it, it was interesting. I showed my wife that last week and, and this week, this last section in Romans 8 that describes if God is for us, who can stand against us? And now that we're more than conquerors, nothing can separate us. I felt a little overwhelmed and very inadequate to preach on such absolutely glorious words. I was like, Bonnie, I can just read this and say, okay, what more is there to say? Like, do you really want to hear from a human being when God has spoken such absolute, incredible, stunning truth? And yet, it is with great humility that I want to help us better understand these words that are just so clear by just reading them. Verse 35 gives us the main idea, the overarching truth from this text in the form of a rhetorical question. He's asking the question, but the question contains the answer. It's awesome. He says, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? He's answering the question by asking it. He's saying that nothing can separate us. And he'll begin to describe that in this paragraph. So the main idea, the overarching truth is that nothing can separate believers from the love of God in Christ. Nothing can separate believers from the love of God in Christ. So the Apostle Paul here, he's asking this question in a very specific, 
very intentional way. He's asking, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Of course, the answer is, well, nothing can. But what if the question were phrased just a little bit differently? Or if we would misread this, and if we would ask, what can separate me from my love for Christ? Very different question, isn't it? Because if we begin to think that this is asking, what can separate me from my love for Christ? The answer is almost anything. Almost anything can separate you from your love for Christ. Our, our affections, our love for Jesus can fade. Our affections, our commitment, our loyalty, our love for Christ absolutely can have ebb and flow. We can have very good and some very bad days. And so our, our affections can fade when we're overwhelmed, when we have struggles, when life gets really hard, when things don't go the way you imagined. When things are really tough, sometimes your love for Christ can be not quite as strong as in other moments. And so when we're talking about this, understand the way Paul is asking it. It's very important. What can separate us from the love of Christ? What would happen, and I really mean this, if someone in this room would think that maybe your relationship with God was contingent upon, based upon the quality of your love for Him. If you thought that your relationship was really based on how well you love Him, so again, the quality of your love for Jesus, you know what happened? You would despair. And a room even just this size, I'm sure there's at least one person in here that in your own thinking, you have thought that God's love for you is based on, contingent upon, how well you love Him. And let me tell you, that is not what God's Word says. The basis for God's love is His love for you. His love for you. So the question is, what can separate us from God's love for us? And the answer is overwhelming, clearly, nothing. Because God is consistent, He is all-powerful, and His love for you never wanes. His love for you isn't shifting. It's not inconsistent. God's love for you is absolutely consistent through everything that you go through in your life. And so, God's love for you in Christ, that is the basis, is His love for you, not how much you love Him. And so you cannot, you must not find your identity in things like how much you love Jesus or how well you are doing spiritually because you're going to have bad days. And so you must base your identity in how much God loves you. This is critical. Because what this does is it gives us incredible security. And living in Abu Dhabi, where there's so much insecurity... It's, it's remarkable. I was meeting with, with our fellow leaders, David and Ashley, last night and praying about the worship ministry and the band and, and interceding on behalf and prayerfully selecting songs. And I love meeting with my two brothers and, and planning. And we were just talking about who God's provided for the worship team. And if, and if you sing or play, we'd love for you to join. 
And we were just talking about people that might be moving. And we were like, man, if someone's here for a year, that's like an eternity. If, if we have one person that can play the guitar and they're here for a year, we're so thankful. Because that is like, well, that's like a long time. But back in your home country, that's nothing. Because everyone's from their hometown and, and no one ever leaves or hardly ever comes. And in a place like this, that's so transient. And it's like a revolving door. And it pains me that I look and I see a bunch of you that are leaving in a few months. And I honestly hate that. But I know that this is God's plan. You're here for a season. Living here can create so much insecurity. And, and the thing is that when we understand that God's love for you is based on His eternal character that's unchanging, unshifting, and it will not change. And it's not based on you, it's based on Him. That should give you great security. No matter what's happening with work, no matter how your marriage maybe is rocky right now, no matter if your kids are sick, no matter if your finances aren't looking as good or if that contract offer really wasn't what you were hoping it would be, you can find great stability and security in knowing that God loves you and it's based on His ability to sustain you. You know, I love the Jesus Storybook Bible. I have kids, I read to them regularly. We study the scriptures together. But if you've never read the Jesus Storybook Bible and you have children, you need to buy it. Because honestly, as an adult, you could probably pick up this kid's Bible and be devotional for you. I'm not even kidding you. It's just an absolutely remarkable, wonderful resource. And the author, Sally Lloyd-Jones, describes God's love in this book, in this, in this story Bible. She says, God's love for us is a never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And she's exactly right. That's what God's love is like. And you can know for certain today, whatever's happening around you, that God loves you. And he will love you for eternity. And this is the truth that should fuel your soul to greater obedience, to fuel you to greater faithfulness to Christ and to your commitments and having a generous heart. And the list goes on of, of having love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. These fruits of the Spirit, those will be produced in you as an overflow when you are spending time with Christ and you realize how much you are loved. And so what you see here in this main idea that he's describing is that nothing can separate believers from the love that God has in Christ. He then goes on to give examples. Because he's a great preacher. Paul's an amazing preacher. And he begins the main idea, and then he gives examples. And he gives three of them in that very same verse. And these three examples are challenges that we all face. Challenges that would make us think that maybe God doesn't love us and would defeat us. And yet, he's saying, no, even in these things, God still loves us. And so the three examples, the first one, is we have security in Christ because, number one, or despite, rather, pressure. So we have security in Christ despite pressure. You see it in verse 35. He gives us three words. He says, tribulation, distress, or persecution. Now, he actually gives seven words in verse 35. And I'll put them in three categories. 
to help you remember them a little bit more easily. Because seven points is a lot, so we'll just have three. Summarize them. So tribulation, distress, and persecution, the first grouping of words are describing pressure, external pressures that come upon us in our world. So the word tribulation, some translations use the word affliction or trouble. That's what it means. And then the word distress can be translated narrowed space. That's what the actual what the word is in the original is talking about a small space you're trying to get through. And so the word distress has a connotation of being squeezed, of having this pressure on you. And you're trying to go and there's this, this narrow space and you can't quite get through. And sometimes we, we feel pressured and squeezed. And the word here is distressed. Sometimes the word is translated hardship or calamity. And then the third one here is persecution. It just refers to suffering for Christ or because of his gospel. And so on this Friday morning, when we think about pressure, our, can you relate to this? Can you relate to pressure, whether at home or at work? Are you feeling squeezed by life? Are you feeling emotionally drained this morning? Maybe you feel like there's this weight of responsibility and you think, man, when I was a kid, I had it so good. Mom took care of everything. She cleaned, she cooked. And now that I'm the mom, I'm the dad, I have to pay the bills and I have to do this. And maybe it's really heavy. Maybe for you, in your context, there's this real weight. Like it's crushing you, maybe. Or is there an area in your life, maybe, where things just haven't really turned out? When you thought about your life in the past and where you would be at this point in your life and in your career, your age, maybe you thought, oh, it'll look this way. And now you're looking back and saying, man, it's just not panning out the way I thought it would. And you're feeling this internal pressure. Or maybe, maybe it's just work in general. Or maybe you've had a, a pattern that just hasn't been helpful, hasn't been a good way of living and, and it's just, you feel all this pressure from life. The reality is this, that all of us can experience pressure. All of us can experience tribulation, distress. This is a reality of our world. In one form or another, we're all going to feel pressure. And when we come face to face with pressure, we can doubt. We can really wonder, God, are you there? God, are, are, are you really for me? Do you really love me? Because this is really hard and this is really difficult and painful. And so in the light of pressure, oftentimes, we complain. That's what we do, right? We, we tend to complain. Now let me ask, don't say it out loud, but I want you to think to yourself, be honest with yourself. What do you complain about? Make an inventory. And if you don't know, ask your wife. She'll tell you what you complained about. Or ask your husband. He can tell you. Or you know even better, ask your kids. Because by the way, your kids know. They're smart. Teenagers, right? You know what's going on with your parents. You know more than maybe they think you know about what's happening in the home. What do you complain about? What are the things in your life that frustrate you and just leave you just complaining 
and, not, and just frustrated because of the pressure. If you have Christ, and you know that you are absolutely loved relentlessly by Christ, and you know that He is sovereign, you know that He is on the throne, and you know that He has a good plan. We studied in Romans 8 earlier. For we know that God works all things together for good for those who are called, those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. And so if you know that, if you really believe that, I mean seriously, do you really, with all your heart, believe that? Why do we complain? We ought not complain. There's no reason to because we know that God is in control. We should trust Him. Be satisfied in Him. God is working out the circumstances in your life to work all things together for good. The call here is to trust your Father. In the middle of pressure, don't doubt. Trust Him and know that He loves you. No matter how much pressure you experience, God loves you and He wants what's best for you. But the second one is He gives example that you can have security in Christ despite pain. So first he talks about pressure and then pain. He says, or famine, or nakedness. He's giving these seven examples. So it says tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness. And so these two are grouping. Famine and nakedness are painful. We're talking about physical needs, physical pain here. And there are many people in our world that experience very real physical pain. They're hungry, and they're naked. They don't have basic shelter. They're struggling for just basics. Now that's difficult for us to understand. Because most of us in this room, well, we're not naked. All of you are dressed. Good. And I doubt you're hungry. And if you are, there's cookies and uh, biscuits, I'm sorry. Biscuits in the back. None of us in here live hungry. We can overspend on clothing, especially here. It's like, man, I never buy clothes here. Way overpriced. But the reality is that even though maybe in this room we really can't relate to nakedness or famine, the point here that he's teaching on is on having needs and on experiencing pain. And no one in this room is exempt from pain. We all experience discomfort. We all experience pain in one capacity or another. So what causes you pain? Some of you have chronic physical pain. Some of you really have a very real chronic pain that every day you're living in pain. But maybe for you it's not physical. Maybe you have more of an emotional pain. Maybe you have broken relationships in your world. And these broken relationships are a tremendous source of pain. And you would exchange that for physical. Maybe some of you say, man, I would take physical pain if I didn't have this emotional torture that I'm going through. Maybe you're worried about the future. Maybe to you the future is so cloudy, you don't know what it's going to look like. And for you, this is a great source of pain. Maybe you've lost someone here recently. Maybe a loved one has died. And you're, you're hurting. You really are experiencing very real pain. Maybe you've been in a pattern of sinfulness, a habitual pattern where you have come to points where you want to repent, you want to turn away, you're being transparent, you're getting accountability, you're following Christ, and you're trying to kill that old 
selfish, sinful desire. But in the process, this is painful. And so, are you in pain today? I don't know if you are. But are you? Be honest with yourself. Because if you're, if you're hiding it, it won't help. You see, when we feel pain, what we tend to want to do is to end the pain. Like if I get a headache, I want to go for the Tylenol. Because Tylenol doesn't work for me. You know, I don't know, Americans, I'm used to Tylenol. And so I want to go for the Tylenol whenever I have pain. And you're no different. Whenever you're in pain, you want the pain to stop. See, but we can do that emotionally. Is, is you can have pain that's emotional. Because someone did something or said something to you, or for whatever reason, you're emotionally on the inside, your soul is really wounded. And what you're trying to do is take spiritual Tylenol, emotional Tylenol, but for you, that's not strong enough. And so you have progressed up to, I don't know, some serious painkillers. And, and, and you are taking these emotional medications, these emotional painkillers to numb the pain that's on the inside. And there's lots of ways that we try to numb pain. Oh my goodness. Facebook. Facebook is, I'm, I'm, I don't even have an account, by the way. I don't, I don't have Facebook. I'm weird, I know. But there are people that will sit for hours and just scan through Facebook and looking at everyone else's life and wishing their lives looked as good as everyone else's life does on Facebook. And it's literally just numbing your soul. That's all it is. It's just numbing. Because you don't want to face the reality of what's actually in front of you. Maybe it's hours of TV. I'm not saying it has to be bad, but it's just mindless, endless internet or TV. Or social media. And it's literally a way to escape and to numb the pain that's on the inside and to just, to just try to get through and not face the realities that are around you. And so let me ask you this question. Are you satisfied with your life? I mean that. Are you satisfied with the life God has given to you? Because if we're dissatisfied, then that's going to create significant pain on the inside, and that's where we're going to try to turn to things to numb it. And the point is, if you are wanting to be satisfied, you have to be grateful. That's the key. If you want to have a soul that is truly satisfied, you have to be thankful for who you are in Christ, thankful for the gospel, thankful for the husband or wife God's given to you, the kids, the job, the appearance, the income level, the nationality, then you name it. Be thankful for who you are because you're precious. You're made in God's image. He loves you. And if you will stop taking the spiritual, emotional morphine, put it down, turn to Christ for real. Repent of your dissatisfaction and be satisfied in Christ, guess what will happen? Your soul is going to heal and you won't need that morphine anymore. You won't need it. Because you'll be healthy. You'll be satisfied. You'll be enjoying Christ. And this, this pain will be gone. 
Can I guarantee you that you'll have no discomforts in your life? Of course not. We're not in heaven yet. This world is fallen. We all have problems. We have to fight for joy. Sounds weird, right? Fight for joy? We do. We need to fight for it. How do you fight for joy? You know how you do it? You replace the lies with truth. The lies from Satan. The lies that you're worthless, that, you're, that your marriage will never get better, that your job is never going to change, that things are always going to be miserable. These are lies. God has a good plan for you. Uh, I can't guarantee what it's going to look like, but the ultimate good that God is trying to produce in you, this is again from the same chapter, Romans 8, 29. What's good is you be conformed to the image of the Son. That's God's plan, to change your character, to make you, make you more like Christ. And he uses sometimes painful circumstances. But we have to replace the lies with truth that God loves you, that you have the Holy Spirit, that you're redeemed, that you have value, you have purpose, that God has a good plan for you. And what matters most is that you enjoy Christ no matter what the circumstances are. Because that's the only source of joy, Jesus. And the more holy that you become, the more happy that you're going to be in life. And so when we're experiencing pain, you know that God still absolutely loves you. Don't doubt that he loves you because you're in pain. The last example he gives is persecution. So he says, even if you're experiencing pressure or pain or persecution, we see it in verse 35. He says the word or persecution, but then he says or danger or sword. And so these final two words of this couplet, and it's talking about being in danger, actually being in peril, or sword refers to death. Which is why in verse 36, he writes, what he does is actually quoting Psalm 44, verse 22. As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. You see, Paul knew what was coming. He knew that persecution was coming, and he was right. A few years later, there'd be a new emperor in Rome. His name was Nero. And under his deranged leadership, he would take Christians and he would light them on fire and use them to light Rome along the road as human torches. And then he would take Christians and he would throw them into the Colosseum where 100,000 people would cheer as our brothers and sisters were eaten by wild animals. And this same Nero would crucify believers the same way that their master, Jesus, was crucified. And this same author, Apostle Paul, would be beheaded a few years later in Rome. And so this is very real for them. The apostle wanted them to know that no matter how much pressure or how much pain or how much persecution you experience, God is still good and on His throne and sovereign and the world is not spiraling out of control. Jesus is still the King and He knows what He is doing and the ultimate good is for us to conform to the image of the Son and we have eternity waiting for us. And all of this pain is going to be a distant memory. And so what is life? Even if you live to be 90 years old, what is life compared to eternity? So brief. And so even in the light of persecution, he says, God still loves you. 
Don't you doubt that God loves you? He absolutely does. And following Jesus, we're seeing here, has a cost. See, we're called to glorify God by making and developing disciples to accomplish the mission given to us by our Master, whom we love. But there's a cost. And we don't hardly understand this living in this country, which living in Abu Dhabi feels like it's the eye of the hurricane so often. And there's so much turmoil in the Middle East, and yet we're in the center, and it's so peaceful here. But we don't know what God has in store for us. But we do know from the scriptures that we are called to, if need be, suffer for the gospel. And to do it with grace, knowing that he will give us the grace that we need to stand for Christ, no matter what the pressure or pain or persecution. When we're experiencing this discomfort, we can ask questions like, God, where are you? Or ask questions like, God, why didn't things turn out how they're supposed to? That's always a funny question to me. Because it presupposes that we think we know how things are supposed to turn out. But who knows more? Who's more wise, you or God? And so we have to trust that when things turn out, it's because this is God's design. And we trust him. And we ask questions like, God, why did you allow this to happen? We can never answer those why questions. We, we can't. But we do know that in the face of pain or pressure or persecution, that God is on his throne. He has a plan. He loves you. And he is going to, through that love, use you to display his glory as you work circumstances in your life for good. Nothing can separate believers from the love of God in Christ. And he kind of restates this main truth in verse 37. In all of these examples of discomfort, he says, no, in all of these things, all of these things that would be against us, in all of these things, he says, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. We cannot allow the pressures, pain, or persecutions of this world to defeat us because we know God's at work. He's going to work it for good and we're more than conquerors. You don't have to live in despair. You don't have to live like that. You don't have to live defeated. We're more than conquerors because of Jesus' work on the cross. We have his spirit. We can overcome our, our sinful patterns. We can. But what about when you're not conquering? Let's just be honest. What about those difficult seasons what about those times where you, you don't feel like you're a conqueror? Is it just me? Or are there days where you're like, man, I'm not conquering today. I'm being conquered, is what it feels like sometimes. What about when that happens? What about when the pain, pressure, or, or, or persecution kind of gets to you and you kind of fall down? Let me help you understand your heart. This is nothing new. I can't see your heart, but I understand what God's word says and out of my own human nature is when you're having those moments when you are defeated, I can tell you every single time why it's happening. Every single time, with no, with no exceptions. Idolatry. Idols in your heart. That is the reason why we get defeated, because of idols in our heart. See, if it were possible, I know you can because it's metaphysical, you can't touch it, but if it were possible for me to look into your heart and physically grab your struggle. So whatever your struggle is, if you can just in your mind picture it being physical, where, where you could actually grab that struggle in your heart. And if you could pull it out by the roots, 
and look at this struggle and just examine this struggle and look at the roots. You know what you'd find clinging to the roots? Idols. You would find idols covered, clinging to these roots of the struggle that you have in your heart. Because we all have deep idols. We all have things in our lives that we love more than Jesus, that we find comfort in other than in Jesus. That which becomes more important to us, all-consuming to us. Let me give you one way. There's a lot, but I'll keep it simple. Let me give you one way where you can identify the idols that are in your heart. Okay? When you are sitting with nothing to do, you finish your work for the day, you already talked to your wife, you know, check box, right? Done. No, of course not. Not a box to check. It's kidding. But when, when you sit at your desk or in your living room or whatever, and your mind is not fully occupied by what has to happen that day, what is the first thing that comes to your mind that you absolutely want to enjoy the most? When your mind is unoccupied, what is the first thought that comes in? You think, oh man, if I only had this, if I could only do this, if I could only enjoy that, if I only had that. What do you find coming into your mind on a very regular basis that would consume your thoughts? Whatever that is that you find yourself really thinking about the most other than it being godly things. And and by the way, idols can be good things too. Idols, I'll give you a summary these deep heart idols are a desire for power, desire for approval, desire for comfort, and for control. So when you and I are seeking power through work or other means, approval, again, through work or people or through accomplishments, power or approval or trying to find comfort in things this world has to offer us or trying to control things or people, those are deep idols. And so what can happen to us is when you have an idol, and again, it can be anything. It can be a person. It can be a relationship. It can be a job, anything, a hobby, anything that that we idolize. What happens is when you have an idol that basically is on the throne in your heart, and that idol falls off the throne, your child gets sick. Your husband isn't responding to you the way you'd want. Your job isn't giving you all of the approval that it used to. Whatever it is that you're turning to for significance and for comfort and joy and approval. When it's not there, when it's been removed, when you lose a job, when you lose that relationship, when your sports team loses, whatever it is, and when things go awry, when things aren't turning out the way you want, and your, your idol has basically been dethroned, your idol has fallen off of the throne in your heart, and you have essentially lost your God, we despair. And we get angry, and we get defeated, or we turn to sinful tendencies to, to try to numb that pain. And so whatever it is right now that has you just so defeated, you are identifying an idol. Because listen, 
If you are truly worshiping Jesus, here's a newsflash. He won't fall off his throne. Jesus will never fall off of his throne. Jesus will never let you down. He will never come up short. He will never dissatisfy you. He will always do what's best for you. And so when we're truly captivated, thrilled, and enjoying Jesus, we will never despair. We will never lose hope. Because our God is secure, and we're secure in Him. But when we're defeated and despairing and frustrated and complaining and habitual patterns of sinfulness, it's because we're finding our joy in another God who's not satisfying. And so it leads to great pain, to discomfort and to evil patterns, and it just doesn't work. And so he says we're more than conquerors because of Christ. So what do you turn to for comfort? I'll ask you that as we're winding down here and coming to the end of this message, where do you turn to for comfort? It should be Christ. You should know that God absolutely loves you. Do not accept a substitute. Don't do it. That's an idol. It's a counterfeit. Only Jesus can sustain you. But we must be truly engaged, focused, this serious theme, focus on these truths, that no matter the pain or persecution or the pressures, no matter, we're focused on Him, we're worshiping Him, and we can be more than conquerors. Let's read the last two verses and wrap it up. Verses 38 and 39 are absolutely astounding. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation we able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Ten in this list. We don't have time to go into them word by word. Remarkable list. What he's saying is nothing in creation, nothing, no, no spiritual force, nothing that exists, no depth, no height, not even death. Even if we die, even if a loved one dies, nothing can separate us from the love that God has for us. Because, listen, God's love for you is rooted in His sovereignty. Let me say that again. God's love for you is rooted in His sovereignty. Because God is all-powerful, in control, all love. Because He's sovereign, He loves you, and so it will never wane. It will never fail. It can't fail because He is sovereign. So we can trust Him and have our souls filled with hope and courage to go live for Him to be obedient to Him, to be about His mission, to trust Him, to have peace, even in the middle of the storm, because of His sovereign, absolute, undying, never-ending, unbreaking, forever love for us. What are you focused on? As we close, I ask you that. Where is your focus? We have an eternity waiting for us to be with Christ, to know Him and to enjoy Him. The beauty is that we can do it on this side of heaven right now, in the middle of the stresses of this life, and live a victorious, truly gospel-centered life. And that happens as we behold our God, focus on Him. So where is your focus? Have you ever come to a point in your life where you absolutely realize that you're a sinner? 
and Christ died for you. Amen. But if you have never come to that realization, maybe today you are sensing God, like we studied earlier in this chapter, calling you. Are you sensing God calling you to place a complete trust in Him alone to save you, to satisfy you? Have Him be your God and to destroy and smash the idols that don't satisfy. You can today. You can ask God to forgive you. You can say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I turn away from my sin. I need you. Give your life to Him. Repent. Put complete trust in Him. And He'll save you. And you'll experience joy that's indescribable. If you are a believer, then I ask the question again. Where is your fault? May it be on Christ. Pray with me. Father, this morning, as we have read your word, as we have prayed your word, as we have sung your word, as we have preached it, heard it, and now we desire to apply your word. I pray for anyone in this room that even right now is grappling with the truth from your word that he or she is a sinner and only you can save if he or she will repent and believe in you. I pray that they will do so. And for those of us that are following you already, create in us a greater desire, greater love for you, a hatred for our idols, and we focus on you, and the more that we love you, Father, we know that we'll have the energy, the power to put aside of those things that would compete for our affections for you. So I thank you for giving us this opportunity to experience you, have you revealed that us respond to you together. We praise you for your salvation through your Son, our King, and our Master, and the head of this church. And we pray in his name, Jesus.